Welcome to the Wildlife Guardians podcast on All About Animals Radio. We are a show dedicated to the advocacy of wildlife everywhere with a focus on lesser known endangered species. Hi, I'm Erica Salvamini and Jeff Harrison and I are honored to be your hosts representing All About Animals Radio, a platform dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. We hope you enjoy this episode and share our podcast with all of your animal-loving friends. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome. Joining us today is Dr. Cheryl Leight, also known as the Maverick Vet. Originally from Newfoundland, Cheryl, Cheryl now resides in Ontario, Canada, working as a board-certified veterinarian and firefighter with Ottawa Fire since 2016. Her other veterinary roles include being the attending vet for Ottawa's largest reptile rescue and nature center and also volunteer vet for a local wildlife rescue when she's able. Cheryl also sits on the USA board as a Canadian for helping rhinos. These experiences also led to furthering her veterinary and conservation education through courses in wildlife health and immobilization in Africa, India, and Canada wildlife rescue operations such as the 2020 Australia bushfires, volunteering at the Zulu Zululand Rhino Orphanage in 2019 and 2022, respectively. Cheryl is also currently pursuing a veterinary master's in conservation medicine. Welcome, Cheryl. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you here with us today. And it's also amazing to think that I have only shared just a little snippet of your CV here today for folks. <laughs> they should really know just how wildly impressive your background is, and or at least it is to me, and I'm sure others will feel the same way. And I'm really looking forward to you sharing your background in greater detail and also your passion for animal rescue and wildlife conservation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. It's great to be here. And Jeff as well. <laughs> so, Cheryl, we've worked together over the past few years with Helping Rhinos U.S. and abroad and also with Pedaling Against Poaching and a lot of the things that you've done. But can you tell us a little bit about how you originally got into wildlife conservation? Um, so I, I've always been involved with wildlife uh, in one way or another, uh, even through vets school but it was honestly I would say in the last six seven years that it really take it really took a, a very pivotal turn um, and it led me down many different roads including the one to which I met you uh -huh. so uh, in 2018 I ended up on a trip to Kenya um, working with another vet there and at that time Sudan. I'm sure a lot of you know who Sudan is. He was the last male northern white rhino in the world at the time. Um, and during February 2018, I was staying at Old Pejida and um, I was able to actually help care for him in his last couple of weeks before he passed away. Um, and I had a very good, I have a very good friend and mentor who was there, James Mwenda. Um, and my talks with him during that time, um, they they literally opened my eyes uh, to a different world of conservation. And when you're sitting in front of an animal, that's you know a five thousand pound animal, um, and it's you see this animal right before you going extinct, it, it hits differently. Um, you're looking at this animal, and 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 you know you feel 
remorse, you feel shame. Um, you'd like to try and feel hope as well, because I think hope is so important when things like this, unfortunately, you know, it takes these events that trigger us to change and they ignite something in us. And it certainly did that for me during that trip. Um, when I got back from Kenya, you know, James' words stuck with me, uh, was that Sudan was a megaphone for all of these other species. You know, we can watch this animal in front of us go extinct, but there are countless others that are going extinct. Like the IUCN red list has over 41,000 species on it um, with about over 16,000 that are threatened with extinction. We have a major problem and this is not just a 5,000 pound animal. Like what about, you know, the small, you know, amphibians, the flora and the fauna and all these um, important aspects of our ecosystems that are, are are threatened with extinction. And once you put on that conservation lens, it's impossible to take it off because you see the world completely differently. So from there, um, I knew that this was the path, like I was supposed to be on this trip. There was a sequence of life events that just took me there. And from there, it just was experience after experience. And my next um I guess the the next training was the Zimbabwe, uh, the mobilization course for African wildlife. And it's also a, a conservation-based course. And it's, again, another eye-opening experience. And we're seeing, you know, how all of the different species, plant and animal, interact with ecosystems and how they rely on each other. And um, there was a statistic that was brought up during that, during one of our lectures there, and it showed the weight of, of land mass, like with animals. And 10,000 years ago, 99% wildlife, 1% human. And I know, you know, we do evolve, things are going to change. However, now, uh, and this was actually, this is probably a statistic from seven or eight years ago, it was 67% livestock and 1% wildlife wow. 32 human that to me um you know i wasn't a and and you know i won't necessarily get into the talk about um eating meat or not eating meat but that to me was an inciting factor as to why i knew i had to change i had to look at myself as well because i don't think it's necessarily um you know there's a bigger picture but there's also a smaller picture and I think the first change that we have to do is looking at our own habits. Um, I just think there's a better way of doing things and um, saving wildlife. This was one of my contributions. Continuing down the path of conservation as well, pursuing uh, a master's in conservation medicine, because I, I feel like the more I learn, the more I feel I don't know. <laughs> And once you start, like I said, once you have that lens of conservation, you see the world completely differently. Um, I see everything as, you know, how does it contribute to conservation? And it's impossible to take that, you know, to take those glasses off. So um, the master's in conservation medicine and Jeff, you know, we started to talk after my trips to Kenya um, and seeing rhino conservation was at the forefront for both of us as well. Um, and of course, Jeff doing peddling against poaching. And then we started talking and realized um, that we had this 
um, you know, common passion as well for rhino conservation. Because again, I think the rhino represents all endangered species that are, you know, at threat of extinction. Because when they go in, and I won't get into right now the the hordes of you know rhino poaching and and that that crisis that's happening there. Um, but they are uh, for a loudspeaker for all of the other species. So this is how it started. And um, I have a feeling it's never gonna end. <laughs> so it's just gonna be continual and, and constantly growing on how I can obtain more knowledge and then contribute that moving forward. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing all of that, Cheryl. And it does sound like you have found your mission in life and uh, that's just wonderful. And I can see how, given your background, um, how you might be referred to as the Maverick Vet. And so I was wondering <laughs> if you might just share with the audience how you earned that moniker. Oh, well, I don't think I did, <laughs> as Jeff laughs. Uh, I don't think I've ever done things in the normal fashion. Um, I guess and with Maverick, it's like an unorthodox way of doing things. And I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> Part of it is, I, I think that conservation medicine in the veterinary field is is a new field, um, and it's helping see the veterinary profession in a different way. And that's one of my goals is to add and change um, some of the veterinary models of how we do things and how we practice, and also incorporating ecological health, because we don't necessarily incorporate that in common practice. And there is definitely a place for it. We have a responsibility for that. Um, but I, I guess I also do things in different ways. Um, you know, like I might do a fundraiser. That's a skydiving event, you know, um, definitely a little bit of, um, I don't like to say adrenaline junkie, but I definitely like to keep stimulated mentally and physically, you know, whether, uh, if it's mountain biking, like Jeff and I have in common as well. Um, I haven't jumped as much lately. I try to reserve the jumping now more for fundraising activities, um, but yeah, I guess I have a different way of doing things and, um, I try to carry passion in whatever, whatever I'm doing, I guess the veterinary model and the firefighting model, they're definitely two different careers. Uh, I know it has been done, <laughs> but they're definitely two very different careers, but it's funny that sometimes they align as well. Um, there are definitely cases where I've been able to apply my firefighting training into the veterinary world and vice versa. So it's definitely a different way of doing things, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I I, um, I just I love it. I think that's great. And I <laughs> more of a fan I become of your work. And to that point, I did come across a CBC News article about um, it was in 2019 about you speaking about Sudan and right. the fact that he was, you know, you spent time with him right before his death. And that you are quoted as saying, spending time with the rhino was both heartbreaking and life-changing. And I was wondering, I know you did just share quite a bit about that experience, but I don't know if there's anything else that you would be willing to share. I know that must be, um, you could tell it's a, it's a very, you know, personal and uh, touching time for you. Yeah, it was um, in multiple ways. It was it was very personal. Um, you know, sometimes we get on tracks in life and we just stay on that track, you know. And um, wildlife conservation was something that I knew I had a passion for years before. And then 
you just get into the routine of life and and sometimes it's hard to break that um but it was actually a, a pretty significant life event <laughs> of loss that took me to africa in the first place so you know i'm and then i'm sitting here and i'm like obviously somebody had a plan for me to be here <laughs> because it was um, my entire life just, it was like a 180. And uh, it was, it was, like I said, it was a pivotal time for me. And I haven't been the same since then. And I remember sitting in front of Sudan because, you know, he'd been in captivity for so long. And um, at 45 years of age, that was part of the reason why um, they ended up having to let him go uh, is because you know he had arthritis and he had some medical issues uh, so he was so gentle and slow I remember sitting very close to him and um, just looking at him and there's a photograph I can send you after um, that I took and it's just you know the side of his face and his eye and I just remember looking in his eyes and um, again you're, it fills you with so many emotions um, and I've never been the same. So it seems like a long time ago, but then it seems like yesterday, but Sudan was responsible for um, changing my life. So for that, I owe him. <laughs> um, but I think we owe him anyway. Um, you know, letting things get to this point, there's a problem here. There's not just a climate change problem. There's not just a conservation problem. There's a there's a human problem. And I think that I've also been opened up to that as well. And I don't think it's necessarily intentional. Um, I believe that there's a lot of obstacles that, that people just don't understand, which I didn't understand. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that really care, but they don't know how to execute that. And I think that's why there's people, you know, like us, like you, like Jeff, um, all the people I look at that are involved with the master's program, we're trying to be the advocates, we're trying to gain the knowledge and say, here's the path, here's what we can do. So I guess that's a, a little bit that I can add to that. I can definitely talk about Sudan <laughs> and the influence he's had. Well, there, you know, there's definitely a uh, a feeling that a lot of people put humans here and all animals way down here. And um, and it, it's not just a, an ego thing where we're the best species on the planet, but there, there's a lot of, you know, there's generations of people that have grown up just, the animals are here for us to yeah. eat, for entertainment, uh, and, and really don't focus on um their well-being or how many are left or how many are being wiped out it's it that was one of the gut punches for me is just the fact that and it happens all the time when I talk to people throughout my day now that um you know a lot of people just have that I don't know that thing where it's just we're so much better than all these animals we don't really care about it and it's great to meet it's awesome to meet great uh the like-minded people that um that want to go and make a change and i think it's super important to get that message out there to get more people on board with that and and to your point the thing that triggered it for you and for me the thing that triggered it for me and for erica um you know that what's everybody's trigger and and there's got to be that slap in the face uh to some people to to get them on the on the right track <clears throat> now 
Cheryl, it's safe to say that you're involved in all kinds of conservation efforts on all corners of the globe uh, with your involvement with helping rhinos and other organizations, your trip to India and beyond. But what about North America? It's, it's really obvious to me as I talk to folks that most people are unaware of what's going on in our own backyards. And, and I've used this term before, uh, but you, sadly, you can throw a dart at anywhere on the, on the globe. And wherever it hits, you can talk about a laundry list of, of plants and animals there. Um, what are the what are the animals that come to mind for you in Canada, either where you grew up or where you are involved, that are worth mentioning uh, on this call right now? Well, Jeff, I'm going to touch on a couple of things that you said, and one of it being um, just all the different species and and humans you know, perceptively on the top of the chain there. You take away something as small as a honeybee and you'll see how important other species are because you might see, or people may see humans at the top of that pyramid, but remember the building blocks underneath that. And when we start losing different species and compromising ecosystems, um, that's where ecological collapse happens. And we're seeing pockets of it. And if we continue on the same path, then we're, you know, humans have a, a bad habit, whether it's personal relationships or environmental relationships. Um, sometimes we kind of just go along until there's a major event. And then we try to backpedal and we try to fix it. It's like, um, you know, the, the pandemic, for example, there's, you know, studies that came out with the first SARS epidemic with, um, you know, describing the the culture of, of eating exotic animals, and it was literally a ticking time bomb. Uh, I think that was a 2013 study. It was a list of a ticking time bomb. Did we change these things? No. Did we tighten restrictions on, you know, the illegal wildlife trade? Did we increase um, awareness of all these issues? Are we getting to younger generations and saying, you know, um, the risk of wiping out habitats and invading habitats and loss of species and how this affects our human health. Mm -hmm. Did we get ahead of that curve? No, we did not. And when we look at um, the recent pandemic that happened, was it avoidable? Maybe. Um, is it going to happen again? Well, I think when you look at the capacity of what viruses can do, um, I hate to say it, but this one was mild when you look at what they're capable of. So if we don't change our habits, um, then I think that we're gonna end up repeating these patterns to a greater extent, uh -huh. but we have control over these things too. You know, So when we look at um, the human importance, yes, obviously um, humans are very important and we're part of this whole system, but that's the key thing is we're part of this system. Uh, we're an integral part. Now, nature would probably do okay without humans. We would not do okay without nature. And that's, we have to realize this relationship that we're losing um, this connect uh, connectivity to um, for whatever reason, whether it's technology or busy lives, um, but we really have to reestablish that because it is crucial to our own health as well. Sure. Um, and we look at endangered species, we'll say, you know, even within Canada, and you're right, you can literally 
go to any you know city, any province, any state, anywhere in the world, and they have their list of endangered species, yeah. right? You know, the government of Canada has a list of endangered species, and um, it might be up to six hundred on there. Like it's it's astronomical, and um, what are we doing? Well, I think there's there's some that are definitely doing better than others, but one area where Canada is very concerning is uh, reptiles and amphibians, for example. They are so susceptible to different ecological and environmental change, and we're just wiping them out. We're actually the worst in the world <laughs> for how you know our, our numbers um, for reptiles and amphibians disappearing. So despite our landmass, so this is a problem we really have to look at. And, um, you know, there's other uh, animals, like larger mammals, obviously, like caribou is another one um, that I tend to keep track of because the caribou represents an untouched landscape. You know, the boreal ecosystem, um, they require untouched landscape for their migration routes. Um, and when we start to disrupt these things by human activity, uh, whether it's logging roads, hydro wires, um, infrastructure. And this is the, the problem that we have with so many different species is habitat loss, habitat fragmentation, um, pollution issues. Then we start to see these animals disappear because they they can't adapt to these changing conditions. Caribou is a prime example. Like, you know, most of the caribou herds in, in Canada um, are, are threatened and, um, it's, you know, it's an iconic species in Canada, yet we're having such a hard time trying to save it. And it represents, again, uh, the boreal ecosystem, which, you know, we're so concerned about carbon emissions. Uh, when you think about our boreal ecosystem, how much carbon, you know, 36 years of carbon is stored in the boreal ecosystem in Canada, in these forests. So how can we say, you know, you know, get away from emissions, but yet we're going to destroy the habitat or we're going to plow over wetlands for um, housing developments because everybody has that bigger and better. Um, the Ontario government right now, it's it's shameful. Like the, the Endangered Species Act is just decimated. Um, basically, you know, you're allowed to build on, um, you know, crucial lands for financial incentive kickback <laughs> so yeah and the, you know there's so many endangered species in these wetlands uh in ontario and um you know the blandings turtle actually i just picked one up because i help out with one of the turtle rescues here um the ontario turtle conservation center and uh, i picked up a well actually one of the carers um helps me as well but we had a blandings turtle who'd been struck by a car and thankfully somebody else brought it in um but she had 12 eggs on board and this is this is an endangered species in ontario so um thankfully she was brought in in time um so hopefully her offspring will survive and um but it's just you know their habitat you can bring in one, but then their habitat all around them is being paved over yeah. for housing development. Well, you know, and, so it's and a major. One one thing I'll I'll jump in on my my little soapbox here for big the big corporation problem that that I'm seeing is you'll get um you you'll there's this thing called greenwashing that I'm sure you've heard about. So you you'll get companies that say, hey, look at us, we're 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 making all these sustainable changes. We're we're uh, building our product this way and that, and we're green and people will 
that's all the research they'll do. They'll go, this company says they're doing great, great things. Meanwhile, uh, one giant example that Dr. Folds can tell you about is there's a wind farm that want, that they're going to build right at the entrance of Addo Elephant Park in South Africa, where they're saying this is going to be the best thing ever. Meanwhile, it's it's going to have a, a, a terrible uh, chain reaction with the lives of these elephants that are there that are captive in the land that they're in. It's not like they can just move away. So, um, but the, the same thing's happening uh, straight south of me and the Sea of Cortez, where there's maybe 10 vaquita porpoises left. And yeah. they're talking about putting a, a huge water desalination plant there to pump fresh water up into Arizona. The brine that they will then pump back in will be however many times higher salt concentration than should be in that part of the sea. So if if the vaquita weren't already uh, kind of on uh, death row, um, uh, you know, that project alone, where they're saying, here's all this stuff that's coming, uh, you know, bringing fresh water to Arizona, and it's going to make everything great. Uh, and we're a great company for doing it. Meanwhile, they're, they're actually causing way more trouble uh, down the road. So there's, there's a big thing. And I only wanted to insert that in there is everybody needs to do their research on the companies that they get behind and developers that they get behind that are supposedly um, sustainable and heading in a green direction, because many of them are not so right. it's it's, oh, it's a delicate it's a delicate subject but more times than not it's about the dollar yeah and not about saving the land so i didn't mean to get off track there but <laughs> i had to throw that in there it's uh you know we could do another uh three hours talking about this stuff for sure. <laughs> yeah. but you're right um i think that we do have to look below the surface because you know when i was talking about how i think a lot of people care and they, you know, they try to go towards companies, and 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 I do think people are starting to pay attention, which is good. Um, and they're looking for more green alternatives, but we do have to look below the surface because I, all companies, unfortunately, are not um, with honest intent. And you know, one thing that I have definitely learned with, you know, conservation issues is there is a lot of politics involved and you have to be able to understand the politics behind things and how to work with that because it's a constant i think we all know this is a constant obstacle yes. uh, whether you know change can be very slow but we do know that you know covid showed us something positive is that we are capable of a global response Right. That's just, you know, I just hope that we don't reach catastrophic levels before we do that in the right direction. And I, I do think it's important to do the research um, or at least, you know, have credible resources and really look into, you know, the bigger picture. Like you say, the wind farms. Yes, you're trying to tell people this is a good thing, but at what cost? Um, you really have to look into these things. Because it's everything is not always as it appears. And um, another thing I've learned is, you know, we look at the the vaquita as well, and that is just such a sad, heart wrenching story. Um, that situation. And another issue in conservation that we've learned is, in order to take care of animals and wildlife, we have got to be able to take care of people. Yeah, and that is a crucial factor. Um, 
because there was def there's definitely people, the middleman there that's getting caught, that's trying to make a living. Um, that's, you know, and it's the same with rhino poaching. You know, you have people that are desperate that have nothing and they're being, um, you know, enticed by the demand and, you know, potentially a year's wages from one rhino horn, you know, and if you have to try and save your, you know, feed your family for a year, what would you do? And, you know, you look at some of the fishermen um, with the Vikita, um, Andrea Crosta actually uh, does a really good talk on that, um, about the Vikita. But you look at, you know, how many levels there are to these things, and um, we have to be able to take care of the people too. So again, again this is very, it's a very complex, complex situation, no matter what species we're looking at. Um, and there's definitely a lot of education that has to happen. But companies and governments, they have to have the proper um, motivation behind things, mm -hmm. not not just greed, not just financial, not just, you know, um, they just see the dollar and a lot of times. And that's a pro and that's the problem. Right. right. Everybody wants more. Everybody, you know, politicians, you can never satisfy well, and, you, and you also have the problem where, where everybody's just kind of focused on their own little microcosm, especially yeah. now where people are just, you know, they're they're just caught up in social media and they just, if, as long as they're comfortable in their little house, their little apartment or anything else, they, they kind of block everything else out. So you really have to get people out to see these things to, to, to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's this disconnect, you know, it's this disconnect that we have to reestablish the connectiveness to nature um, and I think sometimes it's probably an escape mechanism for some people because the issues seem so vast and so large and overwhelmed too I think people become overwhelmed by it all what could I possibly do how can I make a difference and it's yeah. just big and so beyond me and you know doing shows like this helps bring awareness to the regular people every day who like you say are, I do also believe that so many of us do care and want to make a difference. And so, um, you know, I, I want to touch upon you mentioning the that reptiles are in a lot of trouble, and especially here in the U.S. And we're not, we're not doing a good job with taking care of you know what we already have. And so, you know, you had mentioned the last time we spoke, and you know about you working on your thesis for conservation um, medicine for your master's. And so, and from what I understand, you were basing that paper on reptiles and rattlesnakes. Is that correct? Is that what it's, it's a portion of it? Yeah. So one of the areas, um, so my, I guess the bigger scope of it is um, developing a, a course in conservation medicine. Um, and part of that, of course, it deals with the loss of reptiles and amphibians, the illegal wildlife trade as well. And again, reptiles and amphibians globally are, you know, in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, in Canada alone, um, we are, again, we're doing the worst <laughs> in the world as far as our numbers. Uh, when you look at 19% of all reptile species, and I think it's 42% uh, of amphibians, that, that's a lot. That's a lot. And um, there's multiple reasons for that. Um, but a lot of people don't see the importance of reptiles, which is unfortunate. And 
I think that's something we have to work to change. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to ask you exactly to that point. Um, have you read Born Free USA's report um, that mentions what they call rattlesnake roundups and part of you know this growing epidemic that's actually happening here in the U.S. and I'm sure it's happening in other places as well where they're they're doing what's called what's known as thrill killing. And I wanted people to know that this is happening, you know, in your own backyards and we should all be aware of this because that also to your point of taking care of people and, you know, when you have a pathological issue and, you know, oftentimes it does start with things like this, like having absolutely no empathy, no remorse, killing animals, doing it for the thrill and some, some form of entertainment. And um, I just wanted to get your take on that. And if you knew anything about that. Yeah, that's uh very disturbing to like information when I was reading and, and watching the the uh documentary there. It's it's quite disturbing. I think the most disturbing thing is the capacity, human capacity to do these things without remorse. Yes. Um, where did we go wrong? <laughs> right? Where did we yeah. lose that? And I think um part of it is fear of the unknown a lot of people they you know they generate fear um with reptiles and i started working a lot more with reptiles like i said in, in the last five six years and before that not understanding them i always cared about them and kind of treated them whenever to the best of my ability um but i didn't understand them or their behavior to the level i do now and uh you know part of that knowledge also dissipates fear. So, you know, yes, it's very rare that people actually get bitten by rattlesnakes, for example. It's very rare. And it's usually when they try to pick them up, <laughs> right? So yeah. if you're in these areas, um, if you exercise caution, you're usually pretty good. You're more of a threat to the snake, honestly. Um, but I think we really have to start changing our outlook on reptiles. They are crucial. Um to the environment, to the ecosystem, reptiles and amphibians. They suffer uh, horrifically from events like this and also the reptile trade. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, the, the illegal wildlife trade is eight to $10 billion a year US. It's crazy, it's astronomical. And a lot of these reptiles are transported in horrific conditions. Most are dead before they arrive. Um, and they're, they're taken from the wild as well. So reptiles suffer and, you know, this event, this thrill killing, where did we go wrong? <laughs> where do we go wrong? I think we really have to, I think the, the basis of change is education and education, you know, to schools and um, we have to reestablish that uh, connection to nature and, and the importance of these animals. So, you know, we have Lyme disease that's widespread, for example, um, I know in the U.S. and Canada, too, it's just blown up here. And then we look at, okay, well, the climate has some factors as well with that. Um, but then we look at different, you know, mice populations and um, how different pockets of mice populations are contributing to the spread of, of disease, you know, with Lyme disease as well and, and ticks. So then we're going to take away factors that are helping control these populations. And then we wonder why we have, you know, so much Lyme disease. So there's a role for these animals, um, for reptiles, for all animals, you know, in the ecosystems. And we have to start educating people of that importance. 
and reestablishing that sense of just basic compassion and, you know, um, again, educating, I think, from a younger generation in the schools. I think this just has to be a paramount part of education as well in schools to change this because we do have to change it. Yes, for sure. Now, Cheryl, um, it, it takes a very special person to be able to drop everything and jump on a plane and fly to another part of the world that's having a crisis. Now, I know this was another life-changing experience for you because we talked about it kind of in depth when, when you returned, but when the fires were raging across Australia back in 2020, you, you had you it wasn't even a question you were like i getting on a plane it's i don't care if i live in a cardboard box when i get back off i go <laughs> what what was the tipping point for you that um and i know it's how you're wired but i i just can you tell us more about that whole trip and and you know why why you ended up uh, hopping on that plane to do that so uh i'm not good at just sitting and watching things happen, as you probably realize. <laughs> um, there was a call for veterinarians and volunteers, and um, it was a matter of figuring out how. And there was a couple, it's funny, you know, the story of how I I, I got there, but um, there was a couple of different routes that seemed to fall through, and I had a hard time finding the path. So I, I knew I had to go there. I just had that feeling in my gut is like when you're watching something um, and you know you just need to you need to help and um, sometimes and, and you know I have to respect Ottawa Fire they helped with my schedule as well um, to allow me to even stay a little bit of an extended time because some new fires erupted and, and they asked if I could stay a little bit longer um, but I knew I had to go and um, it was just a, a an anxiety, a feeling in my gut, um, just a pull. And I ended up, you know, and I found the kind of the path when I actually got there, I remember um, I flew into Melbourne and uh, the the ride that was supposed to pick me up, forgot it. Oh. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the airport going, okay, well, where now? <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was just a miscommunication. And, uh, but it was that experience as well that, put me in touch with one of the lead uh, rescues there. And then it, the path again presented to me. So, you know, sometimes you don't always know how things are gonna happen. You just know they will, and that's where you're supposed to be. Um, it ended up, you know, putting me into um, an area called Kuma where we had a triage center and we would have to go out and do um, immobilizations in the field for, you know, the injured wildlife and um, treat what we could. Unfortunately, there was a lot that, that couldn't be treated. Um, but, you know, I established this connection of, of people that had another, you know, love for wildlife and, and conservation. And it's just, it just grows, you know, these, these experiences grow. And um, it gave me a lot of training too, that I've carried with me. And, you know, I, I have a hard time the laws are a little bit different in the legislation in, in Canada when it comes to vets working with wildlife. So a lot of the, the wildlife here, they're dealt with with the ministry and there are wildlife vets, but it's a little more difficult when like the fires that are going on here in Canada. Um, I wish I could be out in the middle of it doing the same thing, but it's a little more difficult to do here. So that's kind of another 
I guess you could say side project that I'm looking at as well to see how I can contribute there. But I just know something had to be done. And I always have that feeling. And it's a matter of finding out, okay, how, how it's not, you know, why it's not if it's how, how yeah. am I going to do this? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, watching you jump into action when that was going on, I mean, that you were already on a pedestal in my eyes and now you're on this one that's, you know, <laughs> way taller, but it, it's, it's obviously how you're wired and, um, you know, if we could get more people uh, to, to think that way, um, I, th I think we'd, we'd be able to really start moving the needle. It'd be such a much better world to live in, that's for sure. <laughs> Just following your gut, really, it's, you know, you're following your, your instincts. To do that without the knowing of the details behind it, yeah, and uh, you know you're just going on pure faith and following your inner compass that tells you I have to do this. I'm going. I don't know how it's all going to pan out. But I just know that it will because I have to be there. Yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, more people should be able to tap into that to do that. I, I really like that comparison, actually, um, Erica. The the inner compass. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe because I'm like in the true north of Canada, but that's a, it's a strong, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a strong pull, and I don't even now, um, you know, as I work through, you know, the masters and um, I'm teaching a course in conservation in a month. These things, I don't always know how. I just, I just know, I just have to keep going. I just have to keep doing it, and it can be difficult a lot of days because the issues can be very overwhelming and you can feel like you just can't take off that hat you know yeah. um and and it can and I'm sure you can relate to any conservationist or animal advocate um it, it emotionally can be a heavy burden sometimes right Passion fatigue is a real thing and it can be extremely daunting I'm also an empath so I have to really work every day at meditating and centering myself and staying grounded to not absorb the uh the sadness and the heart um the heaviness in the heart so yeah but i also i can appreciate the following that inner compass because that's what led me to do this work for all about animals radio it's a volunteer effort and i wouldn't change it for anything it's you know i dedicate time to it because i i need to do it there is the, the world is in trouble and the animals are in trouble and we have to be able to to do what we can do when we can do it. And if we can do, I believe we must, whatever that is. And if we can't, we should move out of the way and do no harm. And that's just my philosophy in life. And um, Cheryl, for our listeners, for anybody else who wants to just help protect, defend, advocate for wildlife in any capacity, whether it's in their neighborhood, their community, for the world, do you have any words of wisdom you could share for them or what they could do, small, big, whatever it may be um, towards those efforts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was actually Mr. Rogers that said, there's always the helpers. <laughs> you know, when everything is, is horrible or feels horrible and overwhelming, there's always look for the helpers. And that's something that keeps me going. Um, but I think individually, Yes, there's always things that we can do because I think our choices do have impact and I think there's power in numbers. Um, you know, Jane Goodall has a very good quote that says, you know, act local, think global. So, you know, her roots for shoots, for example, um, she had 
you know, if the youth kind of line up this path and, and plant milkweed for the, the monarch, monarch butterfly through the migration route, for example, you know, all the way down from Canada to Mexico, and they actually um, increase the numbers by doing that. So I think that we do have the capacity for change. Um, being conscious of our own actions, what we purchase, um, how we treat the environment as well. And also, I always like the, you now Jeff and I, obviously, rhino conservation is extremely important to us. But I think, uh, you know, other people may have a connection to a different animal. So if you connect to something, then look into it. See, pick your species, because there's so many out there that I think that we can, you know, um, influence change and learn about. And then I think there's a ripple effect that can happen. You know, we look at our influence and hopefully we'll create a ripple effect for other people to then pass on knowledge. And that's, you know, um, a basis behind my thesis in the course is spreading knowledge to veterinarians that will further spread that knowledge and create this ripple effect. So, you know, pick a species and learn about it and see how you can help it. Look in your own community uh, yep. at the ways that you can help, you know, like, um, and just reconnecting with nature. And I think once we start reconnecting with nature, then we we feel that drive. We feel that I want to help save this. And, and you know, um, local conservation centers, almost every place has them, you know. Yep. So there's definitely ways that we can all help. And, and like I said, what we talk about, what we buy, um, our habits. Yeah, like personally. Yeah. Yeah, I think we do. And, and just, you know, I always say the um, our two greatest challenges are ignorance and apathy. Yeah. I think those are two as humans, you know, I think those are our two um, greatest challenges. And when we see the youth that are trying to make change, I mean, they're, they're, there are people that are listening now and there are a lot of youth that are seeing these issues because this is their future. Um, so I think it's, you know, helping them see a path and, and standing behind them and helping educate them. I think we all have a responsibility to do that for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us here today. It's, uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, it really has been a pleasure and for our listeners who want to learn more about your good work, we will also include all of your social media um, information it will be located on our profile page and which will, will be published on all of our major platforms. And folks, um, you can listen to more great podcasts on All About Animals Radio by going to Apple, Spotify, Amazon, TuneIn, Google, and YouTube. And please like and subscribe where possible and share with your networks. You can also find All About Animals Radio on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And thank you all for joining us here today. And please remember, folks, using your voice for the animals makes you a wildlife guardian, too. Cheryl, thank you so, so much. And Jeff, it's always so great to see you and, and do this wonderful work with you. So, thank you. You guys are both superstars. I can't wait till we record the next one. Definitely. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Through raising awareness, education, and compassion, we hope to bridge the gap between species in need, conservation organizations that are making an impactful change for our world, and like-minded supporters who use their voice to advocate for wildlife. To learn more, please visit 
allaboutanimalsradio.com and pedalinggainstpoaching.com. Also like to give a huge shout out and thank you to Michael Wilbur of the band Moon Hooch for the theme music. Check them out at moonhooch.com. <laughs>